Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was, salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 295. Ready to do Passover on lockdown. My name is Caleb Haig. And I survived the earthquake yesterday we had. And, uh, you know. I don't know. Did you you have an earthquake? Yeah, we had an earthquake yesterday. This is Rob now. Actually, I think it was in Idaho. It was like somewhere in central Idaho or south central Idaho, and we felt a, a shock of it here. Pretty crazy, huh? That is crazy. All right on. I'm glad you're okay. Me too. I haven't done any, I didn't look on the news today to see more about it, but I think it was like a 6.5 somewhere in Idaho. That's what I heard. Looks like we have a good uh, showing in the chat room already. Hello, everyone. Uh, good to see all you folk there. We got a really, really long show for you. <laughs> no, we'll keep it to an hour, but uh, there's a lot to talk about. And also, by the way, it's, I, I got to plug myself a little bit. Can I plug myself a little bit? Just a little bit. By the way, we should plug Rob, too. You? Yeah, I'm going to plug myself. I'm going to plug <laughs> plug you. You plug yourself. No, I, uh, so he, this is for Rob. He does these live streams and uh, on Heart of Messiah. Now, do they come through on Messiah, uh, Messiah Matters, or, or are they just on the Heart of Messiah? Uh, it's on Facebook. Oh, you mean like I, I've just done a couple, a handful recently, yeah. Of uh, Well, it depends on what you're talking about. I don't know. Tell me every what you're week, doing. Every week I've been doing a, uh, a thing for Heart of Messiah where, since January where I do a, uh, a – I call it ancient manuscripts. So I, I – look at the weekly Torah portion if there's any fragments of the weekly Torah portion found in Qumran or the Dead Sea Scrolls and then I'll do like a little screen share is that what you're talking about yeah 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 I've been doing that but I, I've also tried to be doing it doing every once in a while a, an encouraging or some sort of just a little short blip of you know what Facebook page is that on Heart of Messiah Spokane, I think it's called. There you go. I think, yeah. So there's Rob's plug. Um, this is for me. I just started a new show on YouTube on uh, Growing a Messiah, on the Growing a Messiah YouTube channel. It's called The Morning Gym, G-I-M. It's a play on nice. Growing a Messiah. Yeah. So I released the very first show and How's I got... working out? Yes, very nice. Uh, dad <laughs> jokes nice. unite. Um, I uh, I also released my chronology of the passion work, the first chapter of my thesis on Growing a Messiah. If you go to growingamessiah.com and then hover or, or and then click on resources is the very top one. So go download it, Will. Um, and I've gotten some good feedback from that, which is encouraging. Thank you very much to all the people who have uh, who have sent good feedback. 
I, I would encourage bad feedback as well, but I haven't had any. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thank you to everyone for that. Uh, so I'm not sure what my release uh, schedule will be for uh, the morning gym. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to do once a week. I released on a Monday, not thinking about, hmm, I should probably do this the same every week. So next week, it might be a little bit different. I'm actually ahead, too. I've already recorded the next two shows. So um, I'm actually ahead. And our Patreon, Growing Messiah has a Patreon account. Our Patreons can uh, can view the shows early uh, if you're in the second tier. So, yeah, we're excited about that. And I'm going to be releasing my uh, my axe notes to our third tier Patreons as well. Um, so exciting times, exciting times. Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, why is this over here? Sorry. Uh, be a part of our conversation today, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. It is a recording. You will not talk to us, so you can say whatever you want. Um, and then also, uh, you can write us email, chegg at torahresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. You can also get into the chat room on our YouTube channel. And hello to everyone in the chat room. We are very happy you are there. Um, so... People in the chat room are saying that there is a black screen, that they're getting a black screen. I'm not seeing that. Is anyone else seeing that? Uh, let me know. And um, yeah. Maybe log out and log back in or something. I don't know. Well, I'm just wondering if everyone's getting that or if it's just one or two people. Zane says no. Okay, good. And um, finally, the other thing that I will say is that uh, this show is brought to you by, well, many different people. We have wonderful supporters uh, that support us for as little as $5 a month, and uh, we are so grateful to those people. Uh, also, our, our executive producers, I think by next week we should have our uh, spring producer credit up and, and ready to go. And so, uh, yeah, you can become an executive producer for our spring quarter starting sometime probably in the next couple of days. And then ultimately, this show is produced by TorahResource.com. And there's all sorts of great free resources on Torah Resource, especially right now. There's stuff on Passover. Don't forget we have a Passover Haggadah for free. And then we also have um, my father. Yeah, the video. Yeah, my father preached at a church that he was a pastor at for 22 years, Fellowship Bible Church. He did this last year. So last year, right around this time, my father went to uh, the church, asked him to come back and preach on Exodus 11 and 12, which he did, and um, just kind of gave an, an overview of those two chapters. It's totally free. Just go uh, to TorahResource.com. It's on the homepage. You can uh, click it there and then enter your email address, and you can watch it for free. So anyway, okay, all of that said, uh, thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in. Um, and hang on just a sec. Let me try to fix this because this is really annoying me. Why is it doing this? Okay. Um, it's still doing it, but that's okay. I'm not going to fix it now. Um, where are my notes? Here we go. Okay. Um, this is one that, uh, could be quick. Maybe not. PJ, our good friend writes in and he says, did Christ die for the world? Per John 3, 16 and 17, or for the elect, Doctrines of Grace, John 16. Uh, you want to take this? Um, yeah, well, my thought, because of the way, first of all, thanks, PJ, for the email, was my response to him basically was this would be a good topic with respect to the word world. So my thought was, you know, anything... Um, that I, I, or a place to start is what does this mean world? Because if you, let's just say you get your English Bible and you do a search for world, you're going to find John 3.16, which is one of the 3.16 and 17, which is one that PJ references where it says, you know, for God so loved the world, etc. And then, um, but then you'll see in 1 John, It'll say, don't love the world. So how do we make sense of all that? How do we make sense of, like, what is the world? Right. Um, and so the Greek word there is the word cosmos, where we get the word cosmos. And this, this would be a great 
especially for those who are like finding themselves with this social distancing, <laughs> you know, you've got, you know, some of your regular routines are, are interrupted. I would say that would be a great Bible study to, to do a word study is to pull the word cosmos and look at all the places where it's used. Right. And uh, see that it's, it, it has a quite a bit of a semantic range to it. I mean, we think, when I think of the word world, what do you think, what, forget about, just set aside like what you know from, if you can kind of imagine, like, like scripture's not informing, like you're just in, in America, when people think of the world in English, like what do people think of? Not, in, not with a biblical framework, but just world. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of the globe, right? I think of the people around the world. Yeah, I think of I think of a cup. I think of like Earth, right? But then That's part of I mean, me, yeah. part of me thinks of like the world also is like universe, like like even like the world meaning everything created. Right. You know, it's like, and that's me just kind of in a more contemporary English kind of setting. But biblically, it means it it doesn't track exactly. Uh, some of it might uh, mean the same. But as with every concept, every thought, we're supposed to say, you know, take every thought captive to the Messiah. We need to, that's, you know, while we're reading scriptures, our mind is being renewed according to how scripture represents, how God, how the truth of, of God's word is um, providing the definitions for things. And then we learn and we're the ones that are changing, not God's word right? We, our minds are the ones that are being renewed and changed. God's word isn't being renewed and changed. It's the same, right? It's forever. So um, one place to, to do this is you get a good dictionary, a Greek, you know, Bible dictionary. But um, one aspect to that that might be a little more hard to access is the Septuagint, because that's a little more, the tools, I don't know, like eSword, you know, maybe Caleb, you might know more about the kind of online tools, but if someone wanted to look up a Greek word as used in the Septuagint, um, I think you can do it, but without knowing Greek a little bit, you might, you might uh, misinterpret some of what you find. But I did that just for just kind of preparing, like, well, what, how, how was this word cosmos used in the Greek Torah, for example? And it's only used a handful of times. And that's kind of good when that happens, because then you can kind of see, okay, so how did Jewish uh, Greek speakers in, you know, second century BC or whatever, third, second century BC, how did they understand the word cosmos when they were reading the Torah and translating it into their Greek, into Greek language? Well, the very first occurrence is Genesis 2, verse 1, where it says, And the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts, all their hosts, the uh, tzava. And, it's, and that's what it says. It, um, in the Greek, it's, and the, the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their cosmos. cosmos yeah. Which, and so it, has, it means arrangement. This is where we get our word cosmetics. So cosmetic is adornments. In in uh, the Greek Torah, that's what it means. It means the adornment. But the idea is that creation, like with the beautiful stars and all that, you know, that it's an adornment. That it's a, dec a decoration, right? That's that's really what it is. Um, here's another example. The next time it occurs, it's, so it only occurs once in the Greek of Genesis is there in two one in Exodus it only occurs once, or well occur in one passage it occurs twice. It's after it's Exodus thirty three after the golden calf, or at uh, at the at the golden calf incident. Remember where it says they took off their ornaments. Yeah, yeah. Took off it, their it, cosmos. Take off your your cosmos. It's your your ornamentation. Your adornment. So, okay, hang on just a second. Let's bring it back for a few seconds. So, what yeah. I what I hear what I hear you saying is that there's a large semantic range, and that we need to uh, we can't just 
take the the uh, first entry of universe or world or whatever in the dictionary and apply it to all cases. So, and, so and, now, right. And, and you, if you go and look through the Septuagint, you're going to see this, this like it means to arrange, to order, to decorate. And so you have the verb, cosmeo, is to, to arrange or decorate or to, to put in order. Even used lesader to, like we have the word seder for Passover. Literally, seder could mean cosmos. An arra- it's, it's like an order or an arrangement. So what does it mean then, if this is really the bigger picture, what does it mean when it says, John 3.16, God so loved the cosmos what does it mean that he that um, is it First John? Not he he uh, saved us not only from our sins but from the whole world's sins, that of the whole cosmos. And what does it mean that he came not to judge the cosmos but that through him the cosmos might be saved? So the question is: Is cosmos in all these times talking about people? Even, even uh, I think it's in John 4, remember he, he, Yeshua meets with the Samaritan woman. She takes, she goes back to her village. She, she says, we found this, I think, the savior of the cosmos, the savior of the world. So the question is here, is in all these situations, in, gospel, in the Gospel of John, in 1 John, etc., are they talking, when it uses cosmos, is it talking about people? Is it always just talking about people? If so, then you would have to say, oh, he's the savior of the whole cosmos. He's savior of every people. That means that that to me is universalism. A, exactly. That would be a, a, a point of. Uh, See, and, th- and this is this is kind of where this is where my mind goes, because if, um, you know, first of all, in all of the in all of the catechisms, right? In all, every catechism that I've ever looked at, and I've only looked at maybe five or six, but every single one of them proclaims that, that Scripture describes or uh, interprets Scripture, right? And so you can't just take a verse like John 3.16 and say, ah, see, there you go, slam dunk. No, you have to take all the rest of Scripture. So when we look at passages like John, uh, John what is it, 16? Um, and it talks about Yeshua coming and dying for, for uh, you know, that God gave the elect as a gift to, to Yeshua and Yeshua came to redeem his gift and that we've been saved from the foundations of the world. What does all that mean? Well, the, the fact of the matter is the death of the Messiah, the death of God on earth, on the cross, is the most powerful thing that I think has ever entered this universe, right? The, the death of the Messiah is yeah. the most powerful thing that we have. And to, to say that no it didn't it, that it was applied to people but it didn't work for them does that make sense in other words yeah okay yeshua died for everyone but it didn't affect them because they didn't choose because they, they didn't choose or whatever i don't think that i don't think that something that powerful can't affect someone in other words something as powerful as the death of the messiah is effective it cannot be stopped by anything. Well, and exactly. And, and if I may, on that very point, which I'm glad you brought up, I, I'm reminded of, it's. I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where he's saying, be perfect, for he causes the sun to shine on the just and the wicked, right? and the rain to fall. And I remember talking, and I think we've talked about this verse before, but I've had, talked to people, they're like, oh, they think the sun is metaphorical for the good times, and the rain is the bad times. In other words, God brings good times, both for the, the wicked and the just. And he also, there's hard times for the wicked. And that's not what it means. Sun and rain in the agricultural society is like rain is precious in the land of Israel, right? It like when rain, rain is a blessing and they're both blessing. And the idea is Yeshua saying, you bless those, even those who curse you, even those who persecute you, you pray for, and you are to be a blessing. The wicked benefit from God's goodness. The wicked benefit from God's goodness in this world. Yeah, they, they, they benefit, uh, A, they benefit because he does not meet, he doesn't uh, instantaneously bring judgment. So, And they, they benefit from the presence of good people, of, of the righteous doing good in the world. The wicked will even benefit. So, in other words, even though... <laughs> 
so, so that in that way, if you want to constrain world to mean people, the whole world does benefit from the presence of of the righteous. Regina says, so that would mean all are saved. No, what that means is we believe that Yeshua's death only atones for those whom he has chosen. We believe. No, I think. Well, if it depends I, on what I, she hang, means. Yeah, I, if we were believe, to take cosmos, on, hang on, hang on. I believe that Yeshua came and died for the elect, not for. He did not die for every person. He did not come and die for, you know. I I believe that he did uh, not redeem every soul. Yeah. Anyone who tells another that God doesn't love them is wicked. Okay. Well, let's read Psalm five. Hang on. Regina says that anyone who says that God doesn't love them is wicked. That's not the gospel message, by the way. We don't see nowhere in in uh, the in the Bible do we see someone come and say God loves you. Turn from your sins. No, the the message is repent and turn. Not God loves you and turn. Repent and turn. Psalm five. It right. It's a description of who God is. God is forgiving. Yeshua rose from the dead. He is king. Okay, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to, pl- to, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Not you love all evildoers. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. To, to say that God loves everyone is not biblical. I'm sorry. Now that's that, to deny the presence of... It's to deny that there is wickedness. Now, now that's not to say... But our call is, I would agree with her, our call is to tell people to repent. Absolutely. To tell the wicked to repent. And I'm not saying, that, and not only that, but we don't know who the elect are or are not. Right? In other words, you know, we might see someone who uh, holds a, a high hand towards the Lord and, and blasphemes the name of the Lord. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that God can choose them at any time. But the idea that God loves everyone, that every human is, I mean... We just don't find this in Scripture. In fact, uh, I believe it's Proverbs 16 says that the wicked were made for the day of the Lord. So I agree that we should try to t- tell people that the, that they need to turn and repent. Yeah, we're not. We're so I agree with the idea that we're we're not called to judge. I mean, we don't lead. Our our message is not one of just telling people their situation. It's a, it's a, it's not that at all. So Christopher says, does that ignore people's capacity to be changed from the enemy of God and have their name added into the book? No, of course not. That's what I just said. In other words, we don't know who the elect are and who the elect aren't. We should treat every single person as if they are elect. That's the point. As believers, we are to shine the light of the Messiah into the world. And what does that mean? It, that means that we attempt to, to love the, everyone, that, uh, no matter what, which is a very, very difficult and hard thing to do. It's, it's very difficult. It reminds me, too, Caleb, of Romans 11, where he says, therefore, you know, we work to lead with mercy. You're to lead with mercy. I'll, I'll look it up just because I don't want to misquote it. But um, let me find it here. I mean, look, I agree. I agree that, that since we don't know, and in Regina's, uh, you know, to, to, her, to her credit, I would agree that since we don't know who the elect are or are not, we should treat everyone as if everyone is elect. I, I completely agree with that. And, and I'm not saying that we need to try to figure out who's elect and who's not. But, the, but the, the common mainstream Christian idea, God loves everyone. I'm sorry. That's just not what the Bible says. And it's not a message that the Bible gives either. The Bible says, repent and turn. It never says, Jesus loves you, so come, come unto him. 
So Joshua in the chat room, and I always love Joshua's comments. So he says, if we are to treat everyone as if they are elect and God loves the elect, are we supposed to treat people as if God loves them? I am just trying to understand what you're saying. Uh, yes. Here, here's a, can I answer that? Yeah, please. It's like Galatians 6. It's when someone's in transgression, <clears throat> if, you, if you love somebody and they're in a transgression, do you just never talk about it and you just pretend that that just pretend no that's not biblical love what does biblical love do when someone's in transgression you it says in galatians 6 you who are spiritual go and carefully bring someone to restore restore someone bring bring them to repentance you know, and and watch yourself, lest you are tempted yourself. Biblical love is the highest calling there is. That's the highest commandment there is, and it's not easy. It's costly. Yeah, and a lot. But of it's time, not enablement. It's not me just going, "Oh, hi." Yeah, and a lot of on a, sm- a a lot of the time, biblical love is not fun. And Regina also says, "What is sin?" Well, I I I know my catechism. Sin is any one of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, <clears throat> no, I mean, <clears throat> pardon me. My point is this: yes, we don't know who uh, Yeshua has, who the elect are or are not. I think that we have very clear understanding that Yeshua from was given the elect before the foundation of the world, in terms of given names or whatever it may be, and he said yes to coming and. And uh, paying the price to redeem them. That's my point. That doesn't. That does not mean that we that we mistreat people or try to act like some people are saved or not. We don't know. I'm not God. I don't know if if Yeshua came and paid the price for that person. Which means that I act as if at least I should act. I should act as if every single person is loved by God. Now, if a person is is uh, acting contrary to that, then what's the message? Not Jesus loves you. The message is repent and turn. Exactly. And learn of, learn of God's love. And that's, of, that in and of itself is love. To say exactly. repent and turn is love. That's exactly right. That the commandment to love your neighbor yourself says, and you will not bear sin because of it. You will in every wise, every manner rebuke your neighbor. In right. other words, the, the idea is the relationship of love biblically covenantally is very different than the way we use love in popular culture in America today, you know, and, and we need to, it's on us to differentiate that. And again, back to that first point, it's by renewing our minds, by, by being informed by scripture, like you were saying, Caleb, like scripture, interpreting scripture, not, I love pizza. I love, (laughs) I love lamp. I love, I love my friends. Yeah. And therefore I love God. Like somehow these all fit together because they don't, obviously. Right. Okay. Um did we have was there an email about what was the other topic? There was another, but it's not in the title. I got them all right here. Hang on just a sec. It had to do with Paul and keeping feasts or something. Yeah, we got What's a couple that? of them. Hang oh. on just a sec. Um sponsored by Ace Religion Supply, where they say if we don't got it. It ain't holy. Are you talking about? Um, are you talking not about the LXX versus no? Oh no, I I asked you the question when we were preparing for this show. I asked you the question: Should unbelievers um, be invited to Passover seders? Oh, uh, I was thinking we got an email that said that like w- didn't, that was didn't Paul that, break break scripture by not going to. Oh, David. Yeah, you're right. Hang on just a sec. Okay. I didn't, you know what? I forgot about David. I'm so sorry, David Wilbur. Um, let me see here. He might've put it in a different mailbox. That's why. Let me see. This is a great comment. So I I know this is going to take a few (laughs) seconds and I apologize for that. Um, he says, okay. Yeah, this is a great comment. And I've done work on this, which is one of the reasons that I think it's such a great comment. 
Um, so our friend David says, I had a question regarding how the pilgrimage feasts were observed in the first century. I'm not sure if TR has already done something on this. Uh, we haven't done something specific on this. Anyway, some people will claim that Paul wasn't really Torah observant because he doesn't appear to have always made a pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem during unleavened bread, Shavuot, and Sukkot during some years. Okay, first of all, let's stop right there. This is important. Um, to, to think that people came up, and they didn't, but to think that people came up for all three festivals is uh, we have no evidence for this. In fact, in the Gospels, it would seem as though Yeshua and his family came up once a year, as was their custom for Passover. They came up for the Passover, as was their custom. We have nothing saying that they came up every... And, and think about this, okay? If you're in the very north, you're in the very north of, of Israel. Now, I know that traveling in Israel um, is, is easier because it's such a small country, Right? But still, it's a long ways. You're talking about, especially on foot, you're talking about days journeys, like days, not a day, like days. So to think that somebody comes down, to think that they, uh, you know, they, they're there for Passover. And how long are they there for? Are they just there for the first night? Or are they there for the full eight days? Okay. And then what? They go back home. It takes them what? With kids and a caravan and everything, it takes them what? Five days. So you're talking 10 days out there and back. You're talking about possibly eight days there, like in Jerusalem. Now you go back, and by the time you get back, you have how many days left? I mean, you, you do the math, right? You're already 13 days out. So now what? You're going to turn back around and come back down for Shavuot? Be down here for a night and now you go back, so that's 11 days right there. And then you're going to wait and you come back for Sukkot. The logistics of this are, are, are not, we, we just don't have evidence that people were actually making that journey all the time. Yeah, and we don't, and we just don't, we don't have information, too. Like, we don't, we, we just, we lack information on that. For example, John the Baptist, it says that he went and was in the wilderness all the way until the time of his ministry began. You know, so, you know, that, that to me means that John the Baptist, who was a Cohen, right? I mean, he's son of Zechariah. He's the son of Aaron. But he's out in the wilderness. He's not come. He's not participating in the, the calendar. In the, he's not participating in the, the three uh, right. And not, not only that, but, oh, and uh, well, David uh, uh, frames this question really well. He goes on, he says, for instance, after Paul's conversion, he went to Arabia for three years, Galatians 1.17. Then he went to Jerusalem to stay with Peter, 1.18. Then after this, he did not go to Jerusalem for another 14 years, 2.1. The people who bring up such an objection to Torah observance would probably frame their argument this way. The Torah requires the, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for... Um, unleavened bread, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Number two, there was a period of three years and another period of 14 years where Paul did not go to Jerusalem. And number three, therefore, Paul did not faithfully keep the pilgrimage feast. What about Yeshua? Didn't Yeshua's family go down to Egypt for what? Scholars say two to three years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, but the, you'd have to also say that when Yeshua sent his, in Acts 1, he sent him out to the Jerusalem, the nations, yeah. Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Like it, he's not expecting them three times a year to go to Jerusalem. Right. How, you know, how, it, he can't be expecting that. There, there's just, it, it, it so wouldn't make sense. The, and there's no evidence that, that he did expect that. And here's the point is that basically scholars and good scholars. So for instance, E.P. Sanders in his, his book on uh, Judaism, I think it's, what is, oh, here it is. Judaism, Practice and Belief, 63 BCE to 66 CE. He, he makes the argument that, uh, that anyone outside of Jerusalem did not come up for the, for the uh, feast. They, they felt that if um, a person came up once uh, in their lifetime, they had uh, fulfilled the commandment. And so that would be the diaspora Jews. This actually makes sense because when Paul writes to the Corinthians, right, he doesn't expect them all to come. By the way, it's 400 nautical miles 
from from Corinth, and that's not going around. You have to go around if you don't take a boat. But it's 400 miles to Jerusalem from Corinth. So the idea of someone walking, that'd be like me walking to uh, to Spokane from Tacoma. That's a five-hour drive, let alone... I, it's even more than that, right? Because what? Is it 250 miles to Spokane? So it's even more than that. Anyway, the point is, is that um, Paul doesn't seem to, to expect the Corinthians to to uh, make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for, and he doesn't even make it. And so then the question is, is what about the people inside of Israel? Well, if they were close enough, obviously they were coming up. They were coming up to, to Jerusalem. Passover was the pinnacle uh, celebration of the entire year. The most people came up for Passover. We know from Josephus, well, there's different accounts. Some people say 200,000 were in the city of Jerusalem, all the way up to a million people. Some people claim a million people. Um, so the, the Passover festival was the pinnacle festival for Judaism in the first century. This is not the case with Sukkot. Certainly people came up for it, right? but not like they did for Passover. And so we have to assume that people basically chose. Now, the, the question is, okay, is that biblical? Well, we have to assume that it's biblical in some sense because Yeshua was in Egypt for two to three years. He is the spotless lamb, so it couldn't have been a sin. And it couldn't have even been an unintentional sin. Exactly. Same with John the Baptist, because Yeshua endorses John the Baptist as the greatest born of women. Right. So Christopher says, wouldn't the provision for sending money with someone else be a fallback? Yes, and yes, it would. But also, if you're too far away, what are you supposed to do? Sell your sell the animal that would have been the uh, the uh, sacrifice. Take the money and and spend it on whatever your heart's desire. Right. Whether it's strong drink is one of the things. Right. I always thought that was in- interesting. Oh, if you can't make it up to the temple, go buy yourself some alcohol. <laughs> like what? Yeah. A, what a wild! I mean, what it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting for our modern minds to think of, right? Especially since we don't have a temple. Those of us who long to be able to see what the temple and everything is like, uh, you know, a bottle of booze is not a, a good a good replacement. And I, I think people in the first century didn't think it was a good replacement either. That's why I think a lot of people tried desperately to at least get up for Passover. So I think that I think that the uh, well, it says I think in Luke it was his as was their tradition they went up to Passover right, yeah. So I th- I think that the idea of going once in a lifetime was at least for the diaspora Jews, um, was certainly uh, the the command that was was uh, what they believed the command was, and. Uh, those Jews within Israel, depending on how far away they were, I think that they went up at least, they tried to go up at least once a year. Okay. Yeah. Great question, David, by the way. Um, Let's move on. Well, there's so many different places that we could go. Um, I kind of want to go to Jose's question real quick, and this is one that we didn't actually discuss. Actually, I want to go in a weird order. Let's go to Jose first, then we'll go to Jeremiah. Jose says, in Matthew 3.11, baptism of fire is referenced. Um, and basically his question is, is what, you know, I didn't leave, put the whole rest of his. Uh... Mm. Well, that's what it reminds me of. We were talking about John the Baptist and he said, uh, you know, for I, bapt- I, I indeed, I baptize, I'm baptizing you um, with water unto repentance. Right. But the one who comes after me, who's greater than I, right? Because he, he was before me and he's greater than me. And, you know, whose who's sandal I'm not even fit to loose. And he must increase and I must decrease, right? We know all this, uh, how, how John the Baptist, as you quoted earlier, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, John the Baptist said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Right. And that's i mean that's those words i can just i I can just imagine the look in john the baptist's eye just like like laser vision like and he's out there and he's preaching this and he probably looked you know i mean he was a wilderness guy clothed in camels you know 
In other words, he looked insane, is what you're saying. He looked totally yeah, nuts. but his but his words and his eyes just piercing. I could just see that. And, and what's he talking about? Because John the Baptist, man, he he forsook. You know, we think about like right now and where we are in history in the U.S. We're just learned that April is supposed to be like the worst, pretty brutal month. Like that, like in terms of this coronavirus, they're saying we could have as many as a hundred thousand or more deaths. And this is mitigating. This is all these efforts we're doing to try to uh, keep the spread from happening, right? To contain, um, because without unmitigated, the models are saying over, you know, over 2 million people in America, in the U S could die from this. Right. So we're changing our habits. You know, we're, we're having to withdraw from being able to just go to the store whenever we want or doing all these things, you know, are not these uh, easy things to do. Well, John the Baptist, he he left city life. He was he lived on very little, right? Like nothing. I'm like honey and locusts. It said right. Clo- he wasn't into clothing. He wasn't into, you know. I, Caleb, I don't know what you'd do without your coffee, but man, you know, I like a good cup of coffee in the morning. You know, I, and I think about John the Baptist and I think, man, like this guy's heart was on fire for the Lord, right? And that's all he was, you know, that's all he did. And he preached repentance to people who were drunk with the city stuff, right? You know, and all the, all the religiosity and people who were, who are drunk with the things of the world and unable to discern the word of God from the traditions of man, etc. When he then says that Yeshua is going to baptize you by fire, it's it's an intensification, in my view, of the same, of that same separation. That is, God's going to separate the elect. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, and it's and there's a process there, and there's a there's a a death, right? Because you can't follow Yeshua and not. And not die to the to the desires of the things of the world. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on this um, before we came on air uh, because we actually got this uh, email this morning. So um, I knew several different views, and um, Bach, Daryl Bach, um, in his commentary on Luke. Now I have my dad's commentary open here too. This, uh, I found this interesting. He says, the reference is to two distinct baptisms, one of salvation, spirit, and one of judgment, fire. Now, the, now it, should, it should be noted here. This is not Bach's view. He gives, um, he gives four different scenarios of what this could mean. This is the third scenario. What, what uh, verse are you in? Uh, Matthew 3.11. He says uh, the reference is to, to uh, the third possibility is that the reference is to two di- distinct uh, baptisms, one of salvation, spirit, and one of judgment, fire. This position goes back at least to origin homilies on Luke 24. By far the strongest argument for this view is that fire is consistent is a consistent image for judgment in the Old Testament, especially the final judgment associated with the eschaton. And then he gives references, an imagery that continues in Jewish literature. Okay, so basically, um, I, I'm not going to read this whole thing because I'm going to read some of what my father has written as well. But, but he lays out this argument that one of the things could be that, the, that it's for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of uh, believers, Baptism of fire is judgment. And this is uh, one thing that uh, Andre has, our good friend Andre, has uh, argued as well, um, just in passing. So uh, let's look at my father's. Uh, I, I take it. I, I, think, I think fire, baptism and fire, is for the elect. Yeah, okay. So my, my dad takes it. It's the, a metaphor. It's I, a I, metaphor I, for the refinement. I agree. I agree with you. And, and this is what my father says on this. He says, Here the fire that comes forth from the mouth of the Almighty is also an overflowing torrent, the combination of wind and fire as well, in place as a symbol of judgment in the early Jewish literature as well. Thus, the baptism of Yeshua, as foretold by Yochanan, is not a twofold baptism, one with spirit and another with fire but one that is characterized by the judging and purifying work of the Spirit. For those who are righteous, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire will function to purify them as citizens of the kingdom. For those who are unrighteous, the baptism will be, will be one of judgment and condemnation. 
In either case, the judging or proving work of the Spirit will reveal the true nature of each one, as the following metaphor of wheat and chaff gives further elucidation. Agreed. I think uh, because in the next in the next verse, right in tw- uh, what is it, in twelve or in seventeen, he he gives the he gives the metaphor of of wheat and chaff. In other words, my father's view, and I take this view as well, is that yes, it kind of corresponds to judgment as Bach has given in his third reference. However, it's it's judgment in both ways. The uh, baptism of water and fire is that you are proven to be righteous whereas uh with those who are unrighteous the, the yeah i would i would say and here's the way i would frame it maybe uh is that baptism means you you come out of it baptism doesn't mean you stay in it the people right. that the fire destroys they're not being baptized <laughs> they're just being punished they're you know the the baptism of the elect is their purification their sanctification their uh, growth in terms of their refinement and in wisdom and discernment and all the, all the precious things of heaven, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's what I see baptism by fire is. LaRue asks, uh, where was I reading that from in my father's work? Uh, the commentary on the gospel of Matthew volume one, page one Oh five His his very last comment, the very last paragraph in his comments on three eleven. Okay. Here uh, in Hebrews 10, it says, uh, it talks about the the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Yeah, that's not talking about the elect. <laughs> when the fire consumes you, um, that's that's a different, right? That's not being baptized by fire. But, of course, fire is used in both those pictures. By the way, I just got the, an email saying that uh, classes for Torah Resource Institute start in one week. So if you uh, if you're stuck at home, you're thinking, hmm, maybe I should use this time to learn something. Maybe think about taking a class to a resource institute. Okay, um, let's keep going. I, this was an interesting question. I've pondered this myself. Jeremiah writes, "Can you guys expand on evangelism? What do you think are right and wrong ways to evangelize biblically?" Should one Torah th- theology believers be trained more in this within their local congregation? Stop. I want to stop right there. Yes. The answer to that is yes. All believers, I think, you know, and I, I, I've argued this because of, of Acts 15, 21. I think that our congregations should be training grounds for believers to be able to take and handle the word in in the world to be able to bring the gospel message to the elect or to the yeah to the elect but to everyone right we need to proclaim the the gospel message and some people are have a easier time doing this ultimately i think that this comes um not from classes on necessarily how to share the gospel or any or you know evangelism tricks of the trade although some there's nothing wrong with that Rather, I think that the true ability to share the gospel is done by knowing the Word of God and being solid in the Word of God. If we hide the Word of God in our hearts, it is very powerful, and there's nothing that we can do to bring a person to Christ. I think that that's of the Lord. However, He will use us to do that, and the way that He uses us is by knowing and and proclaiming His Word. Okay, let's keep going. How do you feel about street preaching? Do you think this is effective? Um, I would never limit the Lord and say that a person couldn't be saved through street preaching. I'm sure that people have come to the Lord through street preaching. I have not seen it be effective personally. I have seen people street preach and it seems like they get a rouse out of people more. It's almost more to, to, uh, to, to get a reaction, I think sometimes, but uh, you know, everybody's got their own way, I guess, you know, if it's, if, if people do street preaching and it's effective, I mean, that's up to them. I personally don't think I would not do that personally, but that is a personal decision. I, I just think, you know, a person, you need to ask yourself, what's the fruit of your labors for the kingdom? 
What's the fruit of your labors for the kingdom? If someone says, yeah, I've been a preach, uh, street preacher for 20 years. Okay, well, do you have any relationships with people? Are you discipling anybody? No. Well, sorry, buddy, that was a waste of 20 years. Right. I mean, in my view, I mean, that to what and, and you what does it mean to evangelize we're we're using that greek word which is used it's i in isaiah i pulled it up it's used to translate uh levaser in hebrew isaiah 49 get yourself up on a high mountain o zion bearer of good news this is yeshua the light on the hill right you are a light in the world lift up your voice mightily o jerusalem bearer of good news lift up do not fear say to the cities of judah your god is here right? Your God reigns, it says elsewhere, that that is, that the idea is living your life according to the, the whole gospel. Well, and what's, and in, what's... in Galatians, Paul says that Abraham was given the gospel in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That is understanding the, the whole story. It's, it's a, it's a biblical worldview. It's a worldview that um, that you're able to share. I think there's people who who believe in God, but they still need to be evangelized. Right. Well, <laughs> in and, other words, and that's they, and that's and that's the point, though. Is you know what is and Evelyn beat me to it. But what's the point of of what's the commission? Go therefore and make disciples. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't proclaim the gospel at all times. In our lives, as Paul, as Paul, uh, you're not that high in my mind, as Van Hoff has just, uh, has just... Uh, that was Thomas Aquinas, I think. Okay. But Preach as the gospel all the time, use words necessary, if necessary. Yeah, exactly. But as, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach the gospel at all times, and our lives should, should uh, be a proclamation of the gospel as well. But the fact is, is our mission is to go and make disciples. And and I think that that means relationship. And I think it means ongoing interaction with that person. Yeah. It, it doesn't... And that's the thing, you know, the people like the Billy Graham kind of thing. Now, I, I've never been, I never was at a Billy Graham thing. I only know peripherally, but I have heard people describe that there was a bunch of lessons learned there. Like, in other words, they would fill huge arenas and he would preach to them. He would cite scripture. I, you know, Christ died for you, you know, and then people would come forward. They'd fill out something. But it was like, it, it sounded to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Caleb or anybody else. But the descriptions I've heard of people who were involved and saw the numbers over the years of Billy Graham crusading was that the majority of the seed was like the seed that falls on the ground and it gets really it you know out of joy it it sprouts up really quickly but then the heat of the day comes and it blows away and is not fruitful and, and that's ultimately the point is <clears throat> i know people i know a person who came to christ through a benny hinn revival now since then they have moved on and don't you know they're not part of that that at all. So the Lord can use anything, right? The Lord used the donkey to speak to a person in the in the exactly, Bible. Exactly. And he can I'm not saying that the Lord can't use a street preacher to bring people to Christ. I'm not saying that the Lord can't use whatever means he desires to use to bring someone to himself. And we should try to be part of that means. The question that I have is is the commission that we have been given by God is that to go and just proclaim the gospel? Certainly we are to proclaim the gospel. I'm not denying that. But I think that part of proclaiming the gospel is making disciples. And we make disciples of Yeshua. How do we do that? That's through understanding and through relationship. We have to help people come to Christ and understand what we've given them. And to make them follow the Almighty in a way that is biblical. Not just to say, say the prayer. You know, who is it? Uh, oh, I'm, his name is uh, Paul Washer. Paul Washer says that he thinks that the sinner's prayer has uh, been the most damage to, to the gospel in history. Remind me, I didn't grow up with that. So what is the, what's the... Lord's, you know, uh, forgive me, make me a, 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 you know, bring me to yourself. I don't know if there's a specific one, but basically the, the idea of if you say this prayer, now you're saved. Oh, gotcha. I know what that's... Okay. So and the idea is it's a formulaic... Yeah, exactly. Say this magic formula. Yeah, say this magic formula. Now you're saved. Gotcha. Go on your own way, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. I, I mean, he's. I would say that he's right in that. 
you're not doing anybody any favors by saying, okay, say this prayer and you're saved. No, it is a lot, you know, and I, and I've been trying very desperately to explain to my children, my son wants to be baptized, which is praise the Lord for that. I'm, I'm very grateful, but I continue to try to, to let him know it is not a light thing to be baptized. When you get baptized, you give your entire life to Christ. It's not about you anymore. It's about what the Lord wants for me. And uh, I think that a lot of the time when we try to help people come to Christ, it's more of the idea, and I, I fall to this too, it's more of the idea of say this prayer and you're, and you're good, instead of make a lifelong commitment and give right. everything a, that you have. Caleb, I like that. Con- I think that's a, a really good contrast, and we should be aware that both meanings might be circulating out there. Like there's probably people, well-intended people, you know, well-meaning, oh, you know, just pray, say, you know, this prayer. And they mean it well, but ultimately, is that going to feed the soul to grow, you know, and and you've got to have that element of relationship and of being in the word. Because here, the people who are tasked with evangelizing are also in the battle of light and darkness, right? right? They're in the battle of 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 good and evil. And, and so you're bringing, when you're, you know, evangelizing, you're bringing someone else into the battle, right? You're not bringing, you know, they're, it's not like their life is instantaneously going to become a, a beautiful garden and, and all their problems are gone, you know? Exactly. And And this is one of the reasons that the prosperity gospel is just such a, a, you know, an assault on the true gospel. The idea of if you give oh, money right. or, you know, if you become a believer, all of a sudden everything's going to go well for you. No, I'm sorry. That is not the case. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite. When you become a believer, expect tribulation. Expect to be persecuted for your belief. It's not all rainbows and kittens. It's honestly, we should expect persecution. I mean, and I'll be the very first person to say that I have not ever experienced persecution in terms of, I mean, we in America, yeah, people might say things. We might have persecution in terms of verbal persecution by other people or people who don't believe, family members and things like that. But we have not experienced true persecution. I've never been beat for my faith. I've never been imprisoned for my faith. I've never had to flee my home with my children at night because of my faith. Uh, we are The Lord has, has blessed us unbelievably. Um, but... You know, at the same time, much has been given, much is expected, much is required. Exactly. All right. I think that's going to do it. Next week uh, is Nissan on on Wednesday. It's it's Nissan 14 next week. So uh, Nissan 15, rather. I'm sorry. Pardon me. Um, So, no, is that? No, I'm sorry. It's Nissan 14. Yeah, yeah. it's Nissan 14, but I'll probably take that day off so I can prepare for uh, the Seder and whatnot. So, um, yeah. I uh, I don't think we will have a we'll probably do a Tuesday or a Friday yeah, let's show. Look, let's let's do it maybe a Tuesday. Yeah. So look for an email. Um, you know, I'm still thinking about doing show notes differently. However, I just don't have the time currently. So if somebody else wants to make show notes for us, let me know. You'd have to watch the show. I'll give you a template. Um, anyway, it's all things to think about. And, uh, yeah, stay safe, everybody. Stay indoors. Try to, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, think, I, in my others. opinion, there's people that are thinking, oh, you know, this is persecution of, of believers. You know, I, I don't see it that way. You know, may, I could be wrong, but I, I say abide by good advice, you know. I, have, did, have you seen Martin Luther's uh, uh, writing on when the plague was out during his time? Uh-uh, no. Oh, it's really good. It's a really good quote. Look at, uh, go look up Martin Luther quote on plague or something like that, and uh, it'll come up. It's it's fantastic. But that's cool. I'll have to look it up. I would say I would just encourage people as of last word: pray for our president, pray for the leaders, pray for our people working in the hospitals, for the doctors and the the nurses, and I mean, and the families who have lost people already. Exactly. Yeah. And and wow. And, and also praise God for his goodness in your life, you know, yeah, no his doubt. loving kindness. All right, guys, we will see you at some point next week. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. Mm-hmm.